leaders met in Indonesia for the 43rd ASEAN summit this week. On the top of the agenda, Myanmar. And I reiterate my urgent call on the military authorities of Myanmar to listen to the aspirations of its people, release all political prisoners, and open the door to the return to democratic rule. And since the coup, the Tong National Liberation Army has expanded its territory and influence. Myanmar's military has noticed. You know, yes, the military doesn't necessarily want to fight you uh, because it's got a lot on its plate at the moment. But if you um, cross the perceived red lines, it will push the issue and it will um, make the effort to, to push back. And I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. Plus, poets have been killed, jailed, and censored in Myanmar since the junta took power. We hear from one poet about creating during conflict and his recent work. Sagai Adanware. To gauge the tide, they were cut a tarmac on the hull of their vessel. There is militancy in that authenticity. But first, we'll have a rundown of this week's news from the Irrawaddy. You're listening to the Irrawaddy Newscast, a transmission of conflict and culture from inside and outside Myanmar. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. A junta-controlled court sentenced photojournalist Saiza Tak to 20 years with hard labor, a record term since the military took power and began persecuting reporters. He was arrested while on assignment for Myanmar Now in Rakhine State, documenting the impact of Cyclone Mocha, which killed over 140. The court convicted him on four charges, including violations of sedition, disaster management, and incitement laws. There's some 70 jailed journalists in Myanmar, making it second only to China for imprisoning members of the press. Prison sources say Da Aung San Suu Kyi is suffering health concerns, while her request to see an outside dentist has been denied. Senior members of her National League for Democracy say the regime has moved the 78-year-old lawmaker from house arrest back to prison. Friends and fans are mourning the death of prominent artist Sit Nian A. The 68-year-old, well-known in both art and revolutionary circles, passed away in the U.S. at his home in Colorado. You're listening to an interview with the Irrawaddy by the artist while he was living in exile in New Delhi, still making art on themes of democracy and human rights. Sit Nian A was a pioneer in the modernist art movement in Myanmar and a prominent figure in the 88 uprising. A general election promised by the regime will not be held until at least 2025. Hunter Bosman online told his cabinet last week that he plans to hold an election after a national census in October of next year. And this week, leaders from the region met in Indonesia for the 43rd summit of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. At the top of the agenda was the ongoing conflict in Myanmar and the failure of ASEAN's five-point consensus to bring peace. Here's current ASEAN chair and Indonesian president Joko Widodo at that summit. That every leader present have an equally big responsibility to not create new conflicts, to not create new tensions. At the same time, we also have responsibility to lower heated tensions 
to soften present situations, to create space for dialogue. In a statement, Southeast Asian leaders strongly condemned violence and attacks on civilians in Myanmar and directly blamed the junta for atrocities. Here's UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres at that summit. I remain deeply concerned about the worsening political, humanitarian, and human rights situation in Myanmar, including Rakhine State, and the plight of the massive number of refugees living in desperate conditions. I welcome ASEAN's principled approach to the five-point consensus, and I urge all countries to continue to seek a unified strategy towards Myanmar. And I reiterate my urgent call on the military authorities of Myanmar to listen to the aspirations of its people, release all political prisoners, and open the door to the return to democratic rule. It was confirmed that the Philippines would chair ASEAN in 2026 instead of Myanmar, which was set to lead the bloc. Although a junta representative was not at this summit, China, India, and Thailand have met with regime leaders in recent months. And the bloc is still engaging with the junta through routine ministerial meetings. Meanwhile, several Southeast Asian Air Force commanders will shun next week's ASEAN Air Chiefs Conference hosted by Myanmar. Since the coup, the Tong National Liberation Army has expanded its territory and influence in northern Shan State, where it's based. This ethnic armed group is relatively new. It was formed in 2009, but out of a decades-long struggle for autonomy by the Tong people. For the last two years, the group has supported anti-junta forces, though quietly, and rarely clashed with the regime. That is until recently. August saw fierce fighting between the TNLA and Hunta troops. The International Crisis Group, they research conflicts around the world, recently released a report on the TNLA that's titled, quote, Treading a Rocky Path. I spoke with Tom Keen, an author of that report. He first gave a brief history of the TNLA and how it came to be formed. You know, they've been trying to set up an armed wing um, for some time, and in 2009, um, the military regime at the time was trying to um, force ethnic armed groups or pressure ethnic armed groups to become border guard forces under its control. Um, and this was quite unpopular um, among the EAOs who would have lost, you know, lost most of their autonomy. And, and so the KIO, the Kachin Independence Organization, uh, decided to set up um, some, some sort of proxy armed groups. Arakan Army was one and the TNLA, the uh, was another got the weapons and the training um you know in in that period around 2009 2010 um and then slowly sort of infiltrated into northern shan state where the taung people live over the decade of myanmar's political liberalization from 2011 to 2021 uh the tnla was um you know striving to gain a, a, a firm foothold in that in that area where um taung people um were the majority you know, it was really difficult, I suppose, difficult because they were constantly fighting the Myanmar military, um, but also other ethnic armed groups, particularly the RCSS, um, a Shan ethnic armed group. And so at the time of the coup, they'd been fighting for the, you know, for around a decade. Um, but at that point, they had established a foothold um, and were in the process of rolling out an administration. 
and had also shifted from from being closer to the KIO um, to to being more aligned with the UWSA, the the United Wales State Army. So, you know that 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 was a really useful um, relationship for the TNLA uh, because it meant they they could um, access weapons from uh, UWSA weapons factories, um, but also they they sent you know members to. Uh, Wa territory um, for training um, in administration, politics, and so on. And did this shift or or greater relationship with with Wa State Army did that also put them more in contact with China, or uh, have they always had a relationship with China? Or can you explain what what that looks like? Yeah, this is one of the really interesting things I think because the TNLA kind of it's it's formative years as an armed group. Uh, as I mentioned, it was a politic, more of a political organization um, through the 90s and 2000s. You know, so it kind of its formative years were spent on the Thai Myanmar border, and quite a few of its um, its senior members um, were closely involved with civil society, Tung civil society um, through that period. These civil society organizations were receiving a lot of training. Um, I suppose being infused with the sort of a Western idea of what civil society is and what its role is which is a bit different from the sort of Chinese political culture. But the reality is that the TNLA now um, controls territory very close to the Chinese border. Um, the fighting that's going on at the moment is, um, you know, literally just a few kilometres um, from the border. So, um, you know, there, there are these, the, the geographic location, the sort of China's economic interest, um, uh, there's a, a Ta'ang population that lives in China um, where they're called Diang. Um, and, you know, the close relationship with the Wa all meant that the TNLA has no choice. I mean, it has to engage with China. But this doesn't necessarily sit that comfortably with the TNLA, I would say, like the KIO, I guess. Like they don't have uh, a background in the Communist Party and have fought fought against the communists in, in Myanmar um, at, at some times, you know, in the in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's a complicated relationship, I would say. It's not not a straightforward one by any stretch. Uh, as your report details, they've they've largely avoided major clashes with the Huntu. The recent events might be an exception, but can you tell me about their position towards the NUG, the uh, PDF groups, and generally their stance towards the SAC since since the twenty twenty one coup? Yeah, so if we think about ethnic armed group responses to the coup, I mean, I think they're on a spectrum. Um, you've got uh, EAOs that, uh, you know, going to Napidor, meeting the regime, um, not really associated with the resistance or the NEG. And at the other end, you've got groups that are refusing to go to Napidor, uh, arming and training PDFs and uh, engaging politically with the NEG. The TNLA sits somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Um, but I would say it's probably more towards the NUG resistance side slightly. Um, the reason I say that is because, um, it, you know, it's tried to balance its relationships with all these groups, um, these entities, and that's really been in its strategic interest to do that. Um, and what I mean by that is after the coup and even before the coup, this was happening to some extent, the, the, the military, Myanmar military was pulling back um, and disengaging from conflict with the TNLA. And so it kind of disengaged, and this enabled the TNLA to expand its um, territorial control. But, you know, we can see, for example, um, from the recent fighting that you mentioned, 
the locations where the fighting is taking place. I mean, the TNLA has established itself firmly all the way to the Mandalay Musei Highway, the main highway to China, um, and also on the other side of the highway as well. Um, so it really has um, expanded significantly. What What is life look like on the ground in terms of governance in territory the the tong control yeah it's a really good question and one that we were trying to answer with this report to some extent um obviously we didn't have direct access to these areas um so that makes it difficult it's not ideal um but we spoke to um uh as many people as we could who are living in these areas um and they painted a picture of um uh, uh, increased stability um, compared to the pre-coup period um, when uh, soldiers from different groups, not only the TNLA, but also the military and the RCSS um, were often um, moving through their villages or near their villages. Um, now um, it's mainly the TNLA present. Uh, after the coup, the TNLA managed to expel the RCSS from most of Northern Shan State. Um, and also, as I said, the military hasn't been aggressively patrolling into these areas. It's kind of pulled back um, for the most part to the major towns and, you know, like battalion headquarters and so on. Um, but to the extent that the state existed, it's really just um, completely crumbled in areas under TNLA control. Um, either the um, civil, most of the civil servants either joined um, the CDM and are cooperating with the TNLA or they, they left the area. And in, in its place, the TNLA has created its own state apparatus. So it's got an administrative system um, down to the, to the village tract level. There's also a very large network of schools, um, which is run by civil society, not the TNLA. And going forward in the future, how do you see the Tong National Liberation Army's role in this conflict or, or position in, in this region? I think the the recent fighting with the military sort of underlines some of the risks of this expansion. Um, you know, one of the risks is that if you, you know, yes, the military doesn't necessarily want to fight you uh, because it's got a lot on its plate at the moment. But if you um, cross the, you know, perceived, you know, red lines, um, then it will um, it will push the issue and it will um, make the effort to to push back and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment um, in terms of managing relationships with other ethnic uh, communities in Northern Shan. It's one of the most multi ethnic parts of the country, um, and there are also um, several other ethnic armed groups active in in, in a similar area, um, and they're all competing, I suppose, for territory and economic resources. Um, and for influence, and there have has been tensions between the TNLA and the KIO and the SSPP. And so managing these um, relationships and these risks is going to be a, a big challenge for the TNLA, which is why, um, you know, the report is titled Treading a Rocky Path, because, you know, they just have to balance a lot of different relationships due to the complexity of politics and conflict um, in Northern Shan State. That was Tom Keen with the International Crisis Group.
And now for Report on the War Against the Junta, the latest news from the ongoing conflict. Resistance fighters have killed at least 78 regime forces and allied militia members in the last week or so of clashes. Fighters attacked a flotilla of regime vessels on the Chinwin River in the Zagang region, killing 10 soldiers. You're listening to footage of that attack posted to social media. Also in that region, some 44,000 residents from at least three townships were recently displaced from fighting and raids by junta soldiers. Fighting continues in northern Shan state between the Tong National Liberation Army and the military. At least three civilians were killed after junta shelling. In eastern Kia state, the Krini Nationality's Defense Force claims to have killed at least 30 junta soldiers over the weekend. In Kayin State, a resistance drone team killed five regime officials in Miyawadi Township on the Thai border. The group warned civil servants to leave their jobs or risk attack. The Kryn National Liberation Army also seized a junta base. In Kachin State, a resistance group says it also killed two regime officials in drone strikes on administrative locations. And the civilian National Unity government recently claimed the junta has lost 30,000 troops, almost half of its total combat force in the last two years. The Irrawaddy collected the following reports from People's Defense Force and ethnic armed organizations sources. You can find more at the Irrawaddy's website in the section called War Against the Junta. The civilian death toll in Myanmar since the February 2021 coup has surpassed 4,000 and now stands at 4,056. That's according to the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. Since the coup, poets have been on the front line, sometimes literally, in the fight for democracy. Authorities have killed at least four and jailed dozens. Some have fled the country or gone underground or just stopped working. One is leading his own armed group, the Bamar People's Liberation Army. In this recurring segment, we'll hear from Myanmar poets. Some are still in the country and some have left. Koko Tet lives in the UK. He's the co-editor of the anthology Picking Off New Shoots Will Not Stop the Spring. That includes what he calls witness writings made during the latest military crackdown. I spoke to him about his recent work and writing poetry that doesn't, at least directly, have to do with the current conflict. I am Kokotet. Uh, I'm a poet. Yes, <laughs> I am a poet, and I, I was born in Burma, Myanmar. And uh, I started writing poems a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, not much, I would say. Uh, I responded to the coup as, you know, just like most other poets and writers from Bama Myanmar. But after the publication of Picking Off New Shoes Will Not Stop the Spring, which is an anthology of witness writings from Myanmar, most of the you know poems and essays in that anthology were response to the coup, right? Then I, I got, okay, I have to do something else. Like, I don't want to be identified with or defined by what's going on in Bama, Myanmar. So I shifted my attention to pre-coup, you know, images and images that, are, that, that I have taken, uh, photography and all that, during my travels uh, 
everywhere uh, and I started writing about that just to divert my attention because it's really draining uh, to just to be occupied with what's going on in Padma and you need a little bit of self-care in that situation I guess and Zagai is the region I mean these days after the coup it came up with such fierce resistance against the military regime so some some of the Zagai poets my friends like Kizawi and Kathy they were murdered in May 2021 and in March 2021 after the coup so I knew them you know in person I translated their poems and so on so Zagai is that region where I I I was living uh, until 2018 so when I looked looked uh, back at those images that I I from of the guide so I I started seeing that you know in different light so I started also writing poems about the guide the first photo he shows me is a river with a small boat that has come ashore it is a load of earthen pots those reddish clay jars used to hold water you see around Myanmar so the photograph uh, I is the you know the plate there uh, a jetty it's not even a jetty there's no uh, there's no um, place to you know moor the, the 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 boat right it's just a makeshift uh, place where the the boat stops and and the boat comes from the other side of the river i mean a few miles down river and and they make those earthenware uh, earthen pots sagai is very famous for we use earthen pots to to contain to keep water fresh water usually drinking water and also cooking water and so on so sagai sagai is traditionally known for these you know pots sagai pot we call them sagai o and they are durable and the you know they have they can keep the water cool in in a hot summer and so on so this is from a pottery a boat or a vessel from a pottery coming to deliver their ware to sagai market and the place is just like 10 minutes from my my garden uh, my house where i lived in sagai so i usually walk to see them when they are there sometimes i will even help them you know with the with the pots just just to get some exercise Sagai o Plinan dati Sima situis Pochi Donaumi ma Mamanti me Que doyen Pesan Pesiamalu Tanekuri Sagai other where To gauge the tide They were cut a tarmac on the hull of their vessel there is militancy in that authenticity give any pot a good pet it must ring ding ding if it cracks you don't pay they bet on their pride their lives are than fragile like the guy o itself is an expression in bamis if you know and other other wear is tough if it's of good quality 
made of good uh, clay, then we could say it's as, it's as good as a Zagaiu, right? Something of good and, you know, tough quality. So the, the, the expression itself carries a Zagai characteristic. So what I was trying to say is Zagai people are like that. The second photo shows a four-lane metal bridge spanning the Irrawaddy River. On the shores of that river, in the shadow of this bridge, people are bathing and maybe doing laundry. Many, many Zagai people are impoverished. And, and in one, uh, I mean, it's not, you will see in this photo, the Iaudi Bridge connecting, you know, the Mandalay Division and the Zagai Division, which was actually built by China with Chinese investment. Uh, and, and this is a very uh, beautiful bridge, also very high. So suicides often happen on that bridge while people are still bathing another bridge. So this poem is called uh, Water Under the Bridge. It's like in Zagai, lives doesn't, lives don't count. Human lives or even animal lives and, you know, uh, they don't count. Yeah, you know, the fact that people are still bathing under the bridge show how, you know, they don't have any running water. You know, some people carry water from the river. Actually, the river is quite murky. And also because of sand, they are mining the sand all the time in that area for construction. You know, So the river is, the ecology of the river is totally devastated. ดาอองกาจีมูเนมไซโกมีอีกก็ชุ่นยีลูอเมียนญิ่นนี่ล่ะยีซีตันเนี่ยตะลอกะคลีมาลีเตียวดาบอกะคงชะตัวเกลองป